So hello and welcome to another instalment of this podcast series by Baker McKenzie, The Trainee Test. I'm your host for this episode, Harry Clark, and in this series, you'll get a first-hand look at what being a trainee at Baker's is all about, hearing firsthand from several trainees and partners about how they tackle a series of simulated legal problems. And today, I'm joined by a series of future and current trainees at Baker's, as well as a partner. And um, be great if we could all go around and, and introduce yourselves to the listener. Hi, everyone. My name's Josh. I'm joining Baker McKenzie in March 2021. A um, bit about myself. I'm from Australia. Um, I've lived over in the UK a little bit from on exchange and previously worked in finance. Looking forward to the, the podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Paridi Singh, but you can just call me Pari. I am from India and I'm now uh, doing my LPC and I'll be a trainee, incoming trainee in March 2021 at Baker McKenzie. Prior to joining Baker McKenzie, I have experience of working in education, development and management consultancy across 12 countries. I'm really looking forward to podcast today. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Nick Parker. I am a third seat trainee currently sitting in EU competition and trade. Uh, before joining Baker McKenzie, I worked as a journalist in Hong Kong. So I'm a career changer as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Ratcliffe. Uh, I'm a partner in the employment team at Baker McKenzie. I joined Baker McKenzie as a trainee in 2002, which is a, an incredibly long time ago now. Um, and Unlike these very interesting, uh, high-achieving individuals on the phone, my background is incredibly dull. I didn't have a previous career. In fact, I went straight through university to law school to, to Baker McKenzie. Uh, had a great Saturday job at Starbucks. That was ace. I'd recommend that. Other coffee shops are available. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on. A great little mix of, of, of different experiences and backgrounds um, for this challenge. Uh, I guess as a first primary question, trainees, how are you feeling as you're sort of beforehand the, the test is coming out? What's your sort of uh, expectations for the, for the next test? Less nervous than the initial interview, but uh, definitely um, a little bit nervous. Yeah, I think if it wasn't called a trainee test, I'd be less nervous, but because it has the word test in it, I can't really help it. I, I, I don't know if I feel particularly nervous. I feel, I feel sort of just amused um, by, by the sort of novelty of something like this. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. Nick's going to breeze it. That's a confident approach from the bat. Let's see if it uh, comes back to bite him later on. <laughs> but no, a great mix of uh, experiences today. Uh, and I'm sure, Steve, your expectations are extremely high for these, for these trainees to, to nail this test. Exceptionally high. <laughs> Exceptionally high. Okay, well, without further ado, um, let's get straight into it. Um, obviously, there's a simulated problem that each of the trainees is going to be working through today. And Steve, I'll be talking with you separately and the trainees separately as well to, to, to break this down, see the different perspectives, and we'll come together at the end to, to see the, the final result. Um, Steve, if you want to get started on, on giving the trainees their first initial bit of uh, information about this particular test and the problem they're going to be facing. Sure, no problem. So, um the, the situation is this. We have got, Baker McKenzie has got a long-standing client called Yankees. Um, it's a big New York headquartered company. And last year, we advised them on the disposal of their non-US um, fragrance technology division. Um, so basically, this is a division, the core asset of which was a clever bit of technology called Sniff-It. Uh, and this technology literally sniffs out uh, millions of different fragrances, and it's primarily used in the perfume industry to kind of analyze and detect and design um, perfumes. And we assisted them to dispose uh, of the non-US aspect of that um, that business to a company called Pear Lanos. Uh, that project completed exactly 12 months ago. Remember that, it might be of some use to you later. Um, so we have the terms of the uh, sale and purchase agreement, 
Uh, and under that SPA, Yankees, our client, granted an exclusive license, which effectively prevents um, uh, it from using uh, its, its patent for these technologies outside of the US in respect of certain matters. Now, since then, the clever R&D folks at our client have learned that Sniffit has um, broader application. So it's not just limited to the perfume industry. You can use this technology to detect all sorts of other things, including it can literally sniff out explosives and poisons and other banned substances. So that gives our client uh, an idea that it might be able to expand this business quite, quite far beyond its original parameters. So... With that expansion in mind, the board of our client is thinking about acquiring a 49% interest in a company called Border Secure. Uh, And Border Secure specialises in um, border protection measures in the UK. So um, the idea behind this is we'd license our Sniffit technology to Border Secure uh, and they would be able to use it on border security. Um, We've got uh, some concerns that there might be legal issues around it, or our client has, and particularly bearing in mind that Border Secure is uh, a public company. It's listed on AIM in London. There's also an additional matter, uh, which is that um, as part of the deal, Perlanos acquired a number of employees, one of whom was the um, sales and marketing director of Yankees. She's called Jackie Bridge. And um, our client takes the view that Jackie would be the perfect person to bring on board to assist with the um, the expansion plans once we make this investment in Border Secure. Uh, so they want to hire her back, essentially. And, and you are a trainee, and uh, the purpose of this really is for you to um, uh, discuss various matters and, and address various questions the client has um, in respect of the deal. And, um, and to kind of help me with what's going to be a meeting with the CEO of Yankees, who's likely to, to grill us on various aspects of what they're doing. Okay, great. Thanks for that overview, Steve. Um, trainees, before we set you off on this task, any clarifying questions you'd like to ask at this stage? Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't catch the, 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 the first part. Was it, we, we represent Yankees and they sold off their non-US business. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So Yankees sold off the non-US aspect of their fragrance division to this company, Pear Lanos. And there'll be a wodge of documents for you to take a look at, but one part of it is the, um, is the SPA with Pear Lanos. Right. And, and Yankees are based in the United States. That's right, New York headquartered. And are we advising on whether this transaction should go ahead? Um, in a sense, yes. There's a no- the number of questions that we'll come on to shortly, um, which go to the um, uh, the proposed investment in Border Secure. Any other questions? No? Okay, I think they're ready and raring to go. So, uh, trainees, good luck. You've now got your time allotted to work through this problem and have a think. Uh, Steve and I are going to go and have a little chat and, and see what he would sort of work through this problem and get him to ask to put his partner hat on and to see uh, how he would sort of view this transaction. But best of luck. So, Steve, it's great to have you here one-to-one. The trainee is obviously away working on this problem right now. And I know you mentioned uh, in your introduction that you you started as a trainee at Baker's and you've 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 worked your way through the ranks to partner. Um, I guess just what's your sort of initial reaction with your with your partner hat on in terms of how you view this transaction? Is this something which is pretty typical or something which has some uh, unique or interesting uh, facets to it? Yeah, this is um, this is not dissimilar to the sort of thing that that trainees get involved in every day, actually. And I think I think the most realistic aspect of it is. You're sort of landed with a load of stuff and a, and a partner's expecting you to assimilate it and, and tell them what's going on. I mean, that's not not an unusual aspect of a, of the day-to-day work of a, of a, of a trainee. Um, 
it is it is not dissimilar to some of the transactions you know we would work with and and certainly a client coming to us at the early stages of thinking about an investment i mean that that's absolutely part of the course that's the kind of thing that we you know we expect to see happen and and our clients will typically ask us for for input at this this early stage um there's a couple of quite interesting bits that are going on here um which you know, are of particular interest to certain of our practice areas. So our IP lawyers in particular would be very interested in the um, the license that's been granted um, in respect to the technology um, and the restrictions that that places on our client uh, in its ability to kind of take that technology and use it for a slightly different purpose than it was it was originally intended to be used for. Um, uh, the other aspect of it, and the, and the bit where employment lawyers like me tend to get quite... Um, exercised is is this idea of um, of hiring in Jackie. Um, when we get into the detail, we'll see that there are some restrictions under the SPA on our ability to, you know, poach back employees who transferred with the with the business that we sold to Per Lanos. So um, again, that's the kind of thing that, that we as employment lawyers do day in, day out. Um, and it's a really good introduction for a trainee to the to, to that aspect of our practice. And I guess on on that basis, um, if if this task were to have landed on your desk as a trainee, what would be the sort of first steps you think you would take in trying to uh, understand all this information, which the the current trainees have just been bombarded with, and breaking it down? Yeah. So, I mean, first things first, try try and digest what's going on. You know, I did a whistle stop tour through the facts of this, but you know, have a sit down and give it a couple of minutes just to digest what the client's commercial drivers are here. What is it it's seeking to achieve? And how is it, in particular on the IP point, how is it that the um, the use of this technology differs from what it originally had in mind when it, it sold off the, um, the non-US aspects of that, of that business? Um, the next thing I would do um, is I would really get um, into, the, into the documents with both feet, you know? Um, there's, a, there's a limited um, selection of documentation that we've given to each of the, um, uh, the trainees here uh, to work through, um, thankfully. Oftentimes, the work of a trainee involves wading through pages and pages to, to get to the, the really relevant bits. But we've done that that work for them with um, with the limited time in mind. Um, and what I would do is I would start to to read into the substantive provisions that are in front of them. There's some substantive provisions from an SPA, and there's some definitions. What I typically do is I read the substantive provisions and then I refer back to the definitions um, as required as I, when I'm going through. And then there's a particularly nasty bit of the takeover code. And that one does deserve a bit of attention because, um, you know, it's it's tricky drafting that, and it's um, and it's pretty hard to understand. So again, uh, a, a sort of a, a, a kind of I suppose, holistic view of what the purpose of that provision is for is probably quite helpful in understanding exactly what the, the words mean. So that's certainly a good modelled, structured approach, and hopefully the the trainees are replicating that as, as best they can in the other room at the moment. Um, I guess on the flip side of things, what do you think are some of the kind of really key areas in which a trainee might slip up, or something they might negate or miss, or a common mistake that they might fall into with a with a transaction like this one? So, um, I mean, taking this particular example, you know, a common mistake is to read a defined term and think that the defined term is necessarily representative of what the what the definition means. Now, now, typically when you define a term as a lawyer, you try and make the definition have some relationship to what it's defining, but that's not always so. And there's a there's a tricky little little curveball in this one, um, which which um, which they might um, might or might not pick up. Um, the the other aspect of it that I think is um, is important to, to bear in mind is that you know sometimes the answer is obvious. 
we are very often presented with extremely tricky sets of, of facts and we're very often um, presented with very difficult um, commercial scenarios to walk through. But sometimes the law is quite straightforward. Um, so don't be um, put off by the fact that this was presented to them as a test. Sometimes there are easy bits of a test. Sometimes there are quite hard bits of a test. And this one has both. Okay, then hopefully they won't struggle too much with the hard bits and they can uh, not overcomplicate the easy bits as you've, uh, as you've outlined there. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for your insight, Steve. That's going to be really interesting for me to hear and to bear in mind when I go to talk to the trainees now. And hopefully they will uh, take some of this on board through osmosis or any other means they can muster to, to try to make this as, as good an approach as, as possible. So I've obviously just spoken with with Stephen about his his partner perspective on this, and he's given uh, me some really interesting perspectives. And unfortunately, you guys <laughs> haven't had the chance to hear, but it'd be interesting to to compare that to, to his sort of train of thought to what you guys are getting on with. So I guess just as a first broad question, how how are you sort of finding this? Are you are you confident? Are you all on the same same sort of page with this transaction? Any, anything sort of breaking you apart as a group, or are you all on the on the sort of same train of thought here? I, I think we've we've walked through most of the questions so far, but. There's a few further questions that we have in order to answer some of them properly. Um, but I think we've kind of come up with a rough answer for some, for most of them. There's still one that we need to address. But, um, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear what Stephen's response is at the end of all of this. <laughs> really helpful if we can have Stephen's insight right now as opposed to like at the end. <laughs> My lips are sealed, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, contractually obligated to keep that quiet. But um, no, that's okay. That's good to hear that you've got most of this settled down. I guess just to finally get you on the record and to say overall, how confident do you feel and, and how closely you've nailed this and how much you think you're going to impress Steve with your response? I'll say I'll take a grade or a percentage or anything else. The million dollar question. <laughs> I think mostly okay. I'm I'm open to learning from what Stephen's experience has to offer on this. So yeah, it should be okay. I think yeah, I think we've picked up some points. I've, I'm sure we've missed others. Um, <laughs> whether I'm confident or not, I'll, I'll be able to answer that in about five minutes time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm. I'm I'm looking forward to presenting it anyway we'll, um, and hearing what Steve yeah, has to say. Yeah, I, I think we've broadly covered sort of the main points, um, but I'm pretty sure that we've missed some. Um, but yeah, happy, happy to be free of wrong. <laughs> A very lawyery response from all of you, caveating and qualifying your your uh, your responses. But um, no, I think it's time to, to to bring Steve in and for you guys to have a bit of a discussion as to the, 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 the themes and the topics about this transaction and obviously for you guys to hear what he's been telling me and, and his perspective as well. Okay, Steve, welcome back. I've just had a great discussion uh, with the trainees. They've been sharing their their thoughts about this case and it was really interesting to hear your perspective on that and how closely or not they've they've sort of mirrored each other in the thought perspectives and everything else. Um, but now this is the time for, for the test to come to a conclusion and for you all to share your thoughts on, on this transaction. So, uh, Steve, if you want to sort of take it away with um, some opening questions on, on the case study and, and to prize the, the thoughts of the trainees out. Sure. How are we all feeling now we've seen the uh, the detail? Uh, still pretty calm. Nick's still going to breeze it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ready for my A star. <laughs> good, good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Okay, so how about this? Why don't we start with, um, why don't you tell me what else we know, very, very briefly, what else do we know now that you've seen the documentation and then we'll we'll go into the questions. Well, we know more about the license to begin with. Um, we know that the license is more aimed at uh, B2C transactions as opposed to a B2B transaction, which is what we're looking at. And we also know that the restriction on the license covers 
a specific use for that license beyond which is the consideration that we've looked at in this case study. So the license, for example, talks about perfumes more specifically, whereas we're looking at non-perfume and more use, which is to do with um, bombs, etc. In the in this case study, so we are kind of aligned on thinking that we should be able to, in theory, uh, grant a license for the use that um, uh, Yankees are seeking to use it for now. Brilliant. Thanks, Parry. And so in that case, you've, you've kind of led into question one. So why don't we launch straight into the first of these questions? So and and when you respond to this, just, you know, assume I'm the client. So, you know, tell, tell me the answer as you as you would a, a client. So if Yankees acquired an interest in Border Secure, could it license the Sniffit technology to Border Secure for the purposes of detecting explosives and other other nasty things being smuggled through airports? I think um, if, if I, I'm happy to have a, a crack at it, Stephen. Um, so I think for for the US, yes, first of all, because the the license only extends to non-US jurisdictions, so they can use the technology within the US. For the non-US, um, if you go to the SPA, um, which is a sale and purchase agreement, the um, the one of the permitted purposes. Um, that Perlanos can use the Sniffit um, tech for is for perfumes, cosmetic products, and other products offered to consumers at large. What we discussed as a group was that um, basically a bomb sniffing detection device would generally be marketed to businesses, so it would be a B2B play rather than a B2C being business to consumer. So we think that they could still get away with um, using the technology for those purposes, provided it wasn't a consumer product. And then uh, another point that Nick raised earlier um, was also that um, we could just approach them anyway and get a contract to use the technology for these purposes if we weren't allowed, because Polanos, it's likely that they're a fragrance manufacturer. I'm, I'm not sure if it's in the facts, but... Um, yeah, it's likely that they're a fragrance manufacturer and only need the product for that. Yeah, I, I guess you can approach this question sort of uh, from a risk-based perspective. You know, it looks like we've got, we're okay in terms of the, the, the license that was granted. But if Palanos did feel like they had a legal basis for a claim, would, would they have a commercial sort of desire to do that? To do that? I think we'd have to know more about Perlanos, but if they are a fragrancing company and they're not interested in b- bombs or or security sort of products, it's a big question as to why they would be interested in um, Yankee sort of licensing out Sniffit for, for a, a, a purpose that doesn't compete with them. Um, and if there is a risk that Perlanos might end up bringing a claim, then there's sort of a bit more impetus to sort of approach them and settle things before we move on to um, acquiring, uh, what's it called, um, Border Secure PLC. Yeah, and it sounds, uh, are you all agreed on that? Is that is that your joint analysis? Okay, yeah, great. And look, I, I, I think um, I think it's right. I mean, the, 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 that permitted purpose definition, you've, you've spotted the curveball, which is the permitted purpose is not what we're permitted to do. It's what Per Lanos is permitted to do. And in fact, it's what they've got an exclusive license to do. So you're right. If it falls in the permitted purpose, then that means we can't do it. And I think I agree with you. It's quite it's quite hard to argue that, you know, bomb detection stuff is offered to consumers at large. There's not many of us who are interested in buying bomb detection equipment. 
Um, so that's that's right. So why don't we uh, jump straight into question two in that case? Um, uh, if Border Secure also wanted to expand its business to allow consumers to detect harmful bacteria such as Salmonella or other viruses before they're consumed, would it be able to use the license for that? So, so I, th- I think if we were going to just take the the license at face value, then um, the answer would be no, because under permitted purpose, it, it mentions other products offered to consumers at large, and this would be. You know, a, a consu- it's, it's, it says a consumer product. Um, but again, I mean, like I said before, the question then is, would Perlanos realistically feel aggrieved and feel like they need to bring a claim? I'm not sure that the answer is immediately yes. I think we'd have to sort of examine Perlanos and um, Yankee's relationship with Perlanos before we can um, make a decision on that and sort of agree a next step, whether that's entering into a contract to allow carve out for this license or whether that's um, sort of thinking about different products that can be used um, with Sniffit. So one point on that was the permitted purpose says for designing one or more of the following items. If you're using it to sniff out like salmonella in food products, you're not really designing the food product. You're just destroying wasted, pro- uh, destroying food that potentially is um, has salmonella in it. So it might still be able to be used under the permitted purpose. But um, if you were then developing products which were for the purposes of consumers, then then you might not be able to. And, yeah, just to add to that, the caveat still applies. This Within the US, we should be able to do this. Um, it, it, the, the issues would only come up if this was we were considering this for non-US-based uh, partners and, and products. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree with that. Well, why did, I, I, and it sounds like, it sounds like there's an interesting point that Josh has raised on the designing point. Perhaps we can, maybe we can do a vote on it. If I had to say, if I had to ask you for a sort of yes, no answer, um, uh, you know, Border Secure wants to, I don't know, create some sort of gadget that you can wave around in the supermarket and, and sniff out salmonella in, in ready meals you're about to buy. That's the thing Border Secure is going to do. Can we, that is Yankees, license our technology to border secure to allow us to do it just one word who says yes and who says no yes <laughs> i'm leaning yes I, th- I think yes realistically yes so uh, and i'm sorry to push you like that this is not dissimilar to what a client might do actually but um i i, th- I think that's i think that's right and i think actually josh hit the nail on the head so basically if you if you think about what this technology was designed to do this sniffer technology was originally designed to sniff out lots and lots of different smells in order to design perfumes. And that was what everybody had in mind when that SPA was signed. And so the way in which that permitted purpose concept is framed is it talks about designing one or more of the following items, perfumes, cosmetics, products offered to consumers at large. And it talks about detecting, analysing and separating fragrances for the purposes of designing one of those items. So, well, we're not designing perfumes if we make this gadget. We're not designing cosmetic products. Are we analysing fragrances for the purposes of designing a product to be offered to consumers at large? Well, we're certainly coming up with a product, but we're not analysing fragrances in order to design that product. We're designing the product in order to analyse fragrances. So it's not, in my, to my mind, what that um, licence was designed to capture. Um, 
take Nick's point, you know, it might be, um, it, there might be scope for dispute on this one because it's a reasonably fine distinction, but I would be reasonably firm with a client that I think this is something that they'd they'd be able to do without Perlanos trying to stop them. Okay, so number three, um, Yankees don't want any transaction with Border Secure to become public. So we don't we don't want to tell the world that we're going to do this this forty nine percent investment in Border Secure until we've registered an amendment to our patent to include the new areas. So to include you know sniffing out bombs and the like, is that something that we can do? Can we keep it quiet until we've registered our our patent? Um, I'm happy to take a stab at it, but I wasn't too sure. But I thought under the takeover code, we can, till a formal notice is made, uh, resist sharing information and making this public. So we could, in theory, apply for the patent um, and then sort of try to hold on to that uh, takeover with uh, till, till such a point we make a formal notice. Now, what I'm not sure of is that up to the point of making a patent and uh, securing that patent, what sort of interaction exists between the public, the bodies, you know, this company that we are thinking of taking over and also Perlamos, like, would any of that have a um, scope for information leaking or becoming public? I'm not too sure of. Yeah, j- just on that, one one point that we discussed, which we, we weren't too sure is, is when is the firm intention? Um, like, what is the test for that? And, and we don't have the background here. Um, because it, it does say that it is required when there is a firm intention to make an offer, um, and we're not sure what that is. Um, is that right, Josh? Is it when you have an intention settled in your mind to make an offer, or is there some other requirement? It says an announcement is required when a firm intention is to make an offer or when an approach by or behalf on a potential acquire to the board of the offeree company is made. So... Um, just, just sorry, just to sorry to interrupt, just but just before you go on, have a have a look at the rest of A. So, a firm intention to make an offer by or on behalf of the offerer. Okay. Yeah. So, so in fact, it's the bit in between yeah. those two phrases. Um, so, where a firm intention to make an offer is notified to the board of the offeree. So, I think what that's saying is you don't just have to settle in your mind that that's what you're going to do. You have to tell them. Okay, so there, there's a chance that we could keep this quiet in order to avoid a disclosure. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I suppose one of the one of the questions is, um, do we know whether they've told the board of Border Secure that they want to make this investment? And do we know that from the background facts that you that you're aware of? I think. We don't know this because the facts just say Yankees is considering acquiring a 49% interest. But yep. nothing more than that. Yeah. So what might we do? If you were meeting, you know, if I'm the CEO and you were meeting me today, what, what might you do in the in the meeting in order to be able to advise on this point? Don't notify the board of uh, Border Secure okay. about this. <laughs> you might say keep, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You might, well, before saying keep your mouth shut, you might ask whether he has kept it. Oh, yes. You might say, have, have you told Border Secure that you're, you know, you're interested and how far have you gone in indicating that interest? I also thought, I mean, this is not uh, useful to answer this question, but I also thought, wouldn't they already have a patent? They wouldn't really need to apply for a new patent for this tech 
Well, that depends what the patent's for. Hmm. So um, we know that this technology was developed in order to sniff out, well, in order to create perfumes. Hmm. So has it been, um, has the patent been registered solely for that purpose or do we need to extend it? Now, the question assumes that we do need to extend the patent to, to cover a new a new use. But you'd need to talk to an IP lawyer about that. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, number four. Uh, Yankees wants to acquire 49% and only 49%. That is exactly 49% on the nose of the shares in Border Secure PLC, an AIM-listed company. So... Let's assume I'm the CEO and I come in and I say, look, I've got this great idea. I'm going to buy 49% only. That's not a problem, is it? I can buy what I like. I can go onto the market and I can buy 49% of the shares. So any issues with that? So I, th- I think there's a few ways to, to slice up this problem. Um, the first is the mandatory offer point. So if, you, if you're acquiring 30% or more of shares in a, in a publicly traded company, then you have to make an offer to all shareholders and you could end up in a situation, or rather Yankees could end up in a situation where they're accidentally acquiring 100% of, of, of the company, which I think would be, A, not what they want to do, and B, quite costly. But there's, um, there are two other sort of ancillary considerations. The first is, if you're only acquiring 49% of a company, you're not going to have controlling c- control over that company. And... I get that it's a publicly traded company and there's going to be lots of small shareholders, but you could end up in a situation where Yankees isn't able to do what they want to do with their with their ownership of, of control, uh, border secure PLC, um, because they don't have that, that majority shareholding. And then the other consideration is why do they need to acquire border secure in the first place at all if their business, if, if, if the business idea revolves around licensing the technology for sniffing out security equipment, um, why do they need to acquire, um, first of all, a company at all, and second of all, a, a publicly traded security company? Are there not private security companies that maybe would be better targets, especially if they want to keep things quiet? Um, I, I think there's a commercial point that needs to be addressed before we even sort of get to the point of, okay, here's how you acquire 49% of the company. Or even doing a JV with them as well. Yep. A- anything else to add, Barry? I was just thinking at um, Rule 9.1, and it talks about 30% or more of the voting rights in a company um, and having to extend offers to holders of any class of equity share capital. Um, and I was just wondering if those would be the kind of things we'd also be sharing with the CEO, things to think about that, like, in acquiring 49% of the company, not only is it obvious on face value that you won't really be diluting ownership much, but that, in fact, there is a clause that makes sure that existing owner shareholders and owners of the company will continue to have um, a certain offer, which will make sure their voting rights remain. So how how relevant is that uh, for the CEO to make this investment if they don't really get away with doing a lot with the company after? Yeah, it's, I suppose that's that's an extension of uh, of that point about you know what's the what's the commercial rationale for for taking forty nine percent only? Can you can you really do what you what you need to do with the company? Um, yeah, did anybody did anybody have um, any trouble with the concept of an offer? So nine point one talks about 
uh, once you acquire 30% or more of the voting rights, essentially, so let's assume one vote per share, once you acquire 30% or more of the shares, um, you have to extend an offer. An offer to do what? To buy their shares from them if they if they choose to sell them at a certain price. Exactly. That's right. Uh, that's right. This is this is really monstrous drafting. I mean, it's not hard, not easy to follow this stuff. But that's exactly right. Um, if you buy, essentially, the rule is if you buy thirty percent, you've got to offer to buy the rest from everybody else who holds shares, or shares with voting rights. So, um, any ideas why there might be a rule to that effect? I mean, don't worry too much about thirty percent. That the number thirty is somewhat arbitrary. But any idea why there might be a rule that says? you buy 30% or you buy a certain amount, you've got to offer to buy the rest. Is it something to do with sort of stealthily taking over a company sort of piece by piece and sort of negotiating with individual shareholders and sort of leveraging that to the detriment of those other shareholders? And, and I guess that if, if you are, um, you're a minority shareholder, realistically, if, if someone's trying to take over a PLC, you're not going to have much say and... The, the bargain that will be given to you is either accept this offer or, you know, you'll have such a small shareholding that you'll basically have no no say in how, how this company's run. Yeah, so I, I think I think we've I think we've covered it now. That's right. If you if you are talking to the CEO and the CEO says, I want forty nine percent, you'd certainly steer them to this to this um this rule and you'd say, well, if you buy forty nine percent, you've got to offer to buy the lot. And to Nick's point, that might mean that you end up having to buy the lot, and frankly, you might not have the money. So quite an important point. Um, Okay, uh, last one. Um, I would like to hire Jackie Bridge back. I think Jackie's great. Uh, She went over to Perlanos 12 months ago when we did the deal, uh, but she is a superstar, and I, I really want her to lead this new business venture with Border Secure. So it's a free country. I can do what I like, right? I can hire her back. No, you cannot. Um, <laughs> um, I think we, we spotted clause uh, 1.4, which has a covenant in place. So Jackie, as part of the transfer, went on to work for Perlamos. And we know that under clause 1.4, um, within a period of 18 months, except with the consent and writing of purchaser, we can't really hire her back. And we know that this uh, whole contract this whole transaction was completed 12 months ago. So that still leaves six months after the completion date, the period in which we can't really hire her back. Um, And we know that from that, we know that we also have other issues. So we would need, for instance, purchasers, uh, sorry, the purchaser's consent. And that may be a problem. If she is a superstar, she's probably going to be quite desirable to keep around. We also could wait potentially for six more months to pass and this covenant will not apply. Um, But there might be other concerns, which is that we don't know what Jackie wants and she may well like working with Palamos and that's quite a a hard one to swing by. We probably have to give her lots of incentives. So I think the the short answer is no, Um, at least not for the period of 18 months and then after we would require um, Jackie's, I mean, obviously we want Jackie to be interested and we'd also need consent in writing from the purchaser. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Think, thinking about the timing, you know, 
But the, the timing is acquire border border secure and then get Jackie on board. So I mean, we we can sort of fold in that you know we're twelve months into an eighteen month restriction. If, if we fold in the time that border secure that it would take for us to acquire or Yankees to acquire border secure and then fold in time that it would take to sort of integrate them. You could envisage a scenario where we have someone from Yankees sort of as an interim leader of, of, of border secure. If, if, if we even want to install someone in, in border secure um, and then we replace them with Jackie once the, the 18 months is up. So even though there is a restriction, I don't know if in practice this would, form sort of like a an impossible barrier um, to achieving Yankee sort of commercial objectives. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I think uh, I think you're all absolutely on the right track there. Um, there's a there's a bit more detail in one point four, and I, I apologise for the forensic nature of this, but but this is kind of what you what you need to do when you're looking at these kind of clauses. Um, Parry, I think you've you've identified the time frame. 18 months after the completion date, and you've identified that we're 12 months into that 18, so that's spot on. Um, there are some other, um, I suppose, hurdles that Perlanos would have to jump through or would have to jump over to, to, in order to satisfy um, us that this provision restrained us. So what, what are those other hurdles in this, in this drafting? Two, two hurdles, potentially, that I've seen um, just now is that it's with the seller and the purchaser. So if it was border secure hiring Jackie, that might be less of an issue. Second one is whether Jackie was in a managerial, supervisory, technical or sales capacity. Do you think she was in a managerial, supervisory, technical, sales capacity or, or is? Well, I'm just assuming given that she was, was it marketing director? So it sounds like she, um, you know, was in charge of the marketing department. So I'm guessing she she was in a managerial role, depending on the size of the company. I, I think I, I agree with that. And, and what's the what's the key date we're looking at? What's the key point in time we're looking at in establishing whether she is or was in a managerial, supervisory, tales, and sorry, technical or sales capacity? Um, at the completion date. Yeah, exactly right. Barry, so so do we think she was at the completion date, managerial, supervisory, technical, or sales? Well, you know, given her role, sounds pretty salesy, sounds pretty managerial, you know, so probably. There's one other hurdle, or there's one other thing we have to satisfy that's in there. It's a defined term. Transferring employees means all senior employees employed in Yankees in the restricted territories. And it sounds like she was employed in the United States, so she wouldn't be a transferring employee Yep. Therefore, no trouble. Well, do we know? Do we know? What do we know about Jackie from the background? From being a purely US business. Yeah. She may well have been in Mexico when she left. Yep. Could have been Mexico, could have been the UK, could have been Timbuktu. Exactly. That's right, Parry. So, so, you know, one of the things you might be asking me if you're, you're coming in to give, give me advice is, you know, where, where was she? at the relevant time um, because uh, if she was in the US directing the global expansion, you're right, she's not caught. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, so that's that's the end of our, our questions. Um, how did you find that, guys? It's good. I, I, I still stand by my, my assessment that it would be fun. It was fun. 
and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was there. It was different. It was. Um, I, I really liked it. It was actually quite a bit of fun. Um, I'm interested to hear what you've got to say <laughs> as to how we did. But uh, yeah, that, that, there were definitely a few points we missed. But uh, I was happy overall, and yeah, it was it was a fun exercise. Yeah, I feel I feel like uh, the biggest takeaway was how for me how people think and how even Steve think thought about the employees' issues, and that that's always interesting. People approaching the same problem but differently and how that actually makes it for a more well-considered advice. I'm quite happy I wasn't alone with Steve here. I can tell that much. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about us? What about me and Josh? <laughs> I must admit it's been really interesting to, to see each of the perspectives. Um, Do you know, and it's been, it's been really interesting for me as well, actually, because it, it is fascinating to see, although you although I think you all agree basically on what the answer is, but it's very interesting to see how, how, each, of you, how each of you got there. There you go, trainees. Take a big breath of relief. <laughs> it's all over. That's the end of the test. And some very positive feedback there from, from Steve. And it's been really interesting to hear um, each of your different perspectives on this issue and how some of the lessons and insights I was learning from Steve in our kind of um, one-to-one conversation has been fed through uh, this group-based setting. Um, like, great to all hear you all enjoyed it as well and that you've all um, taken away something from from this experience too. Uh, and yeah, thank you all so much for, for tuning in and, for, and for, for taking part in this. It's been really interesting. Um, thank you to the listener for, for tuning in and to this installment of the trainee test. Be sure to check out the Baker McKenzie graduate recruitment website in the episode description for some more information and keep an eye out for the next episode of the trainee test. Bye.